We continue worshiping God as we come to our second lesson uh, this morning. Our second reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, starting in the 15th verse. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The word of the Lord. Amen. I invite the boys and girls who would like to go to Kids Word Time to follow our youth minister, Scott Strawn, right over there to head to the communion room and they will get into God's Word together. And we continue to do that here as we uh, reflect and honor and receive this gift of grace that God pours out for us on the cross and communicates to us this morning in His Word. For in this world, we know, we know that freedom isn't free. As we celebrate freedom in our nation this week, we remember that acutely. We come to the Declaration of Independence and we know those 56 men who signed it didn't just sign it in ink, they signed it in many cases in blood. Their conviction resulted in untold sufferings for themselves and their families. Of the 56, five were captured and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary War. Another two had their sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died. Several went from great treasure to poverty, including Thomas Nelson, whose home had become the headquarters of the British. And so George Washington had to order the armies to attack it and burn it down. Nelson would later lose everything and go bankrupt. John Hart had to leave his wife's deathbed and their children had to scatter. Later, when he returned, his fields were destroyed, his mill, his livelihood gone. His wife passed away and his children disappeared. Later, he himself would die of exhaustion. You see these signers on that first 4th of July remind us that freedom is not free. It's costly. And we know that. It it resonates with us. We see the gifts of those who have gone before us. The gifts who yet still pay for that price of freedom for us here in our land today. 
And so when we take that knowledge that freedom isn't free to the gospel, as we come to this text about a free gift this morning, we know how we feel about it. And and so we naturally understand this definition that I love so much that was given to our children at a youth conference many years ago. Those same children are now in high school that defined this gift that grace, that grace is an unearned gift that costs the giver. It makes sense, doesn't it? We know freedom isn't free. We know it's costly. And so if the ultimate gift of freedom that comes from God, it must also be costly as well. And we see that. We see that in Christ Himself. For He paid the ultimate cost, a cost that we could not pay as He died on the cross for us. He earned that because only He was righteous before God. Not you, not I. And so as Christ pays for that for us, as we feel that reality that freedom isn't free, we can't even get a free lunch. We know freedom isn't free. As we take that knowledge into the Gospel, we begin to understand that this gift is truly a gift and it's costly. But we sometimes think that it's conformity that we need. And it's not conformity to the law. It's conformity to the Gospel. It's conformity to what God has done for us. And so we think that we need to somehow in this costly gift build up our resume to show that we deserve it. My family and I like to watch the TV show Survivor and the contestants on that show often talk about building up their resume to show that they earned the prize of the million dollars at the end of the show to make the jury see that in fact they do deserve this costly gift. But you and I don't need to build up our resume before the Lord. Because this gift is costly, all we need to know is that we need to receive it. But when we try to build up our resume, and as we heard in chapter 1 a couple weeks ago in Galatians, then we try to make some other gospel, and there is none. Just as there is no other ultimate freedom, finally, than the one that Christ wins for us. It's not our resume It's Christ. And what's so amazing about what we've read this morning is that God Himself, Jesus Himself, gives us His resume. It's not a passive uh, work that God does. It's a passive work that we do in receiving it. But oh, do we long to make ourselves right instead of just letting God do what He promises. I like how Timothy J. Keller, the theologian and preacher, puts it when he talks about this vocabulary that God gives us here in Galatians 2 about righteousness. You see, so often when we think about righteousness, uh, we think of it like Luther did. When he heard that word, he said it was a, a thunderbolt to his heart. It pierced him because... He thought, oh, he knew his own sin. He knew he could never be righteous. 
He hated Paul for putting this word there until he realized that what this word teaches us is it's not being right on our power, it's being made right with God, being justified with God, being made right with God because of what Christ has done. Maybe you echo the feelings of so many in our society today that I don't feel the need to be made right with God. Well, as Keller points out, all of us have that urge or longing to be made right with. We just do it in different ways. We do it so often in the penultimate instead of the ultimate. And we confuse the realms, as Luther would put it. We confuse these two between penultimate and ultimate. And when we make the penultimate ultimate, it always falls short. That penultimate that's second to last, the ultimate being the final word. Christ has the final word, not you and I. But we do this. We try to make ourselves right in the penultimate. We do it with our families. We try to make ourselves feel right by being a good father or mother or child. Now, these are good things, but they are incomplete to the ultimate. They don't complete us like God's gift does. They don't truly make us free. We try to do it at work. The more hours we put in, Certainly good produce comes from it and many good things often, but never the ultimate. We try to make ourselves right with ourselves and we realize that work is never done. We even do it in all kinds of ways with our body image and we try to look like this or like that only to find that being right with our body doesn't solve all our issues either. We do it in success. We do it in all kinds of ways. Keller points out in an article from the New York Times that by Tony Schwartz, he wrote it just a couple of years ago now, the enduring hunt for personal value. You see, whether you acknowledge that you are trying to be made right with God or with others, I think you'll acknowledge that all of us have this enduring hunt for personal value. What Keller wants to say and what the gospel says here is that the gospel is the end of your desperate hunt for meaning. You don't have to look any further than this free gift that comes to us freely by God's grace. No other freedom will set us free like the gospel. And don't confuse these worlds. Don't confuse these realms to think the penultimate can make you ultimately feel right or be made right either with God or even with yourself. We try to do it. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 143, when we stand before the court of God's justice, none of us on our own, are righteous. I like this translation from the message from Psalm 143, verse 2, as it reads, but don't, please don't haul me into court. Not a person alive would be acquitted there. The text does give us this justice issue in talking about justification. But we're not made justified by our works 
or by our righteousness or any attempt of ourselves. In fact, when we do that, we make ourselves out to be God. In fact, our own attempt to make ourselves righteous, Luther tells us, becomes sin. It's as if we are a murderer standing before the judge trying to justify ourselves by all the good things, other good things we've done besides this one bad thing. The truth is, you and I are that murderer. We are guilty before God. We have broken God's heart on countless occasions. We have failed to love our neighbor. We will never be acquitted. But here's the radical good news of the gospel that sets us free to truly live. In verse 20 and 21 of Galatians today, we discover that it's not your righteousness. It's God's that makes us right with Him. You see, God looks at you and sees Jesus. Luther says we're cemented together with Christ so much so that we can even say I am Christ in Him. Freedom isn't free. We know that. But it's paid for for us. It's an unearned gift that Christ died for. And the radical love that God has for us that while we were yet enemies of the cross, while we were yet enemies of God, He gives us this gift by faith. Reminds me a story I've told many times of one of my favorite classes growing up where the teacher said, oh, don't worry about the grade on the first day. You've got an A. It freed me up to truly live and learn. Now, I know what you're thinking just as you hear that class. Well, what happened? Didn't students take advantage of it? Did, what, what, what if people didn't really learn? Well, therein you discover the same argument we have with the gospel, don't we? But what about my part? What about my resume? Well, Paul reminds us in verse 17 here in our text that it's not that God is inviting us to continue sinning. It's that he changes our hearts in ways that we can't even imagine. You don't get to take the credit. You don't need it. Because he lives and you live in him, you get his credit. And while the law isn't abolished, it gets fulfilled. It gets fulfilled, this unearned gift that costs the giver, it gets fulfilled when he pays that price because Christ fulfills the law. Not you, not me. And we receive that gift by faith. Living together in Christ. The order gets turned around. In every other world religion and even in our own human understanding of of righteousness, the law comes, we follow it, then we're blessed, right? But in God's economy, He flips it around, the power of the gospel. And we are blessed. We are blessed, and that law is fulfilled by Christ, not us. So then because of that blessing, then we live. We live it out. Luther put it this way, the, the tree produces the fruit. The fruit doesn't produce the tree. And so the fruit of that blessing, the fruit of that now living in Christ, crucified with Him, 
so that we can now live this cruciform life is what God does for us. It's like when you were a child and a parent stood in the pool said, you can, you can go for it. You can jump in. I'll catch you. You don't have to be afraid. We can jump into God's arms. We can jump in and truly live. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so yet, though we yet still sin, we can come with repentance to God. We live in the flesh to be sure, but when we take the gospel to this world now, when the gospel comes and comes forth and it becomes the fruit of our life, then all those other things that we tried to make ourselves filled up with actually get filled up. But not by our strength, but by the gospels. When we take the gospel to our family, we can truly love sacrificially. When we take the gospel to how we do our work, we go to serve others. We take the gospel to our identity. Our transformation comes not from what I think about myself, but what God says and says I am. You see, the gospel transforms everything, and this is what God is doing in us. He transforms us by His grace. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Don't turn those things around. Don't flip the order back to what makes us feel comfortable. Because we know that freedom isn't free, don't believe the lie that you have to build up a resume. It's only Christ's resume that will do. Don't confuse the realms and take for ultimate the penultimate. Any one of us will want to do that. It's hard. It slips out of our hands. We want to do it ourselves, don't we? It's so easy for us to think that I need to prove something to God when He has done that completed work through Christ by faith for us. Every other world religion wants to do it themselves. Many of us in the church want to prove our resume. Hear this promise today. All of us who want to make ourselves right can only be made right by God Himself. It's as if we want to be the ones catching ourselves. And, you know, the toddler catching the adult in the pool just gets crushed. Let God be God. Let freedom truly come. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you're like the Galatians or even the Apostle Peter who needed to hear it in this debate. He needed to hear it again. He needed to hear the gospel as Paul proclaimed it and be reminded that to truly live, to truly love, to truly be set free, by faith we just need to jump into the arms of Christ and then we will live. Amen.